Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done, God, and that we can build a strong foundation on you, on you Lord Jesus. Father, we uh, hail you as King, we hail you as Lord, and we hail you as Savior, Father. You are the creator of all things, and by all things, things were made from you, for you, and for your pleasure, Lord. Pray now you would uh, fill this place with your spirit, Lord, and get our hearts ready for your word this evening. I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, church, brothers and sisters, good to see you guys. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Philemon. Philemon. <laughs> I was waiting on something to come. I know the other week after I finished Jude and Rob so graciously closed everything up and tied it together for me there at the end, I went back and said, I'm going to try to do that with Philemon next week. And he said, what? I was thinking it sounded like a Jamaican brother from the islands, you know. And uh, yeah, I was corrected there, and I stand that it is Philemon. Correct? We all agree, maybe? All right. That'd work. Bob said he likes it. All right. So it's one little page in my Bible, somewhere in the thousands, I forget the number. It's 25 verses. I choose to try and pick the small ones so I can get through them, and I know with Jude, the first seven verses had me wrapped up, but tonight I'm going to try and speed through here and get it done. Um, you know, one of the beautiful things that I've seen in looking at these scriptures and just noticing how God has preserved throughout the generations uh, the nation of Israel, the, uh, the prophecy and the way that he preserved the seed that the Messiah would come through, and he... And he did these things, and he's also done this with his word and these letters that we have here now. Um, I think about these letters that the Apostle Paul is writing and everything that happened to him in the book of Acts from being stoned and beaten, shipwrecked, bitten by a viper. I mean, the Lord has preserved him in these things to keep these letters, and we now have them a lot of years later to read. And um, this letter is specifically one of the prison epistles. Paul wrote these while he was in Rome. Uh, he was under a house arrest. Uh, today we see house arrest as an ankle monitor in a location, but back then it was Roman guards that would be on a four-hour watch with you. Um, Paul, being captive of the Holy Spirit in a life abandoned to Christ as a bondservant, he stated that he was not a prisoner of Rome, but Rome was actually a prisoner to him because he had the gospel and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So uh, could you imagine, I mean, this is Paul, the, the apostle, and you're chained to him for four hours. I mean, for me now, I would love it. But before I was saved and a Christian approached me, I'm like, you know, back up, guys. You know, you see how it is when you try to share the gospel with somebody and you get that rejection. So just kind of think about that as Paul could be chained. Um, so this letter was to Philemon. I'm going to go ahead and read all 25 verses. We're going to read through it and then I'll pray and we'll go back to the top. And I'll try and walk us through verse by verse as we do here at Calvary Chapel. So this is the greeting. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in, in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention, mention of you always in my prayers hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. 
For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be done by compulsion, as, if, as it were, but voluntary. For, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for this letter. God, we thank you that it is packed, Lord, with a lot of truths, Lord, and a, and a beautiful way of your heart that is revealed to us, Lord. And I just thank you that you would preserve it over time, that we could sit here on Pennsylvania Avenue, Lord, and look at this letter that you have inspired through the Apostle Paul to share with us that's on our hearts this evening, Father. I pray that you would speak clearly, Lord, and you would do a work in us. Father, I thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen. So the prison epistles are Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. In the book of Ephesians, Christ is exalted above all things. They put all things under his feet. Colossians, Christ is the fullness of God. He is the periphery of the circle in which Christian living is the center. Philippians, Christ is the center of the circle and it's, Christ, uh, and it's Christian living on periphery and the kenosis, the emptying is giving in Philippians. And then Philemon, we see Christ is both the center and the circumference of everything the Lord has. So Paul starts out, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Paul starts no other book as he does with prisoner. Normally, it's Paul, an apostle, or Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. But here he is appealing to write Philemon about, he comes at him humbly. I'm a prisoner, Philemon, of Jesus Christ. There's no other epistle or book that he starts out like that. So Paul was writing this letter from house arrest, as I shared earlier in the beginning. You can find that in Acts 28, 30 through 31. But although he was under the captivity of the Roman legal system, who had full guardianship of his flesh, Paul firmly states that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine being in any situation in your life? Work gets hard. Uh, some people are in prison. Whatever 
a bad relationship, anything, remind yourself, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ in this thing now. And the humility might start. He states that he's with Timothy, our brother. We see Timothy enter the scriptures in Acts 16. His mother was a believing Jew. Some people say they were a complete Jew. As the Jewish, when they come to salvation, they say they are complete. For the Gentiles, we are saved. If you're God's chosen people when you come to salvation. So his mother was a Jew who was raised up under the law, but now believes. So she was a complete woman. And his father was a Greek. Timothy was well spoken of. And Paul wanted him to come along with him, as you can read in Acts 16. It seems Timothy was faithful. And the churches Paul was delivering to were strengthened in the faith and growing by working alongside with Timothy. So here we have Paul and Timothy that start to write this letter for Philemon. According to the timeline that I kind of dug into, it seems that it was around A.D. 47 when Timothy joined Paul in his letter. And then around A.D. 62 uh, is when this letter, uh, Timothy joined Paul in 47 A.D. And this letter was written in 62. So they've been in ministry for 15 years together when this letter was written. Timothy was faithful. Could you imagine 15 years in ministry? I've been trying to walk faithful for four and... The Lord has shown me a lot about myself and about how, you know, my heart is. And I just uh, praise him for that. So here we have Paul and Timothy writing this letter to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Philemon is who this letter is addressed to. His name literally means one who kisses. His name comes from the Greek term that we see for love, phileo, phileo, the phileo love, the brotherly affection which means to be fond of, to treat affectionately, to welcome, or to befriend. With his literal meaning, it is more of an active name to one who is actively loving, one who is actively expressing the phileo, the fondness love within the fellowship. Philemon was led to faith in Jesus Christ while Paul was in Colossae. As Paul went on his missionary trips and he was preaching the gospel, Philemon was one of his converts. And Philemon was a wealthy man, as we see in this letter, because we know of a slave that belonged to him named Onesimus. And this is who we are seeing that Paul is pleading for within this letter. In that time, slavery was a common thing. Um, this was a job, more of a thing. Um, little, a, a lot to go into that I have to look, look into a little bit deeper. Um, Paul uses the enduring terms like our beloved brother and fellow laborer. As Philemon and Paul are in ministry together to further the gospel and proclaim the truth, he is also beloved. These must have spent time together. Paul must likely have poured into Philemon at his conversion, as you can see his endearment as he is speaking, um, by calling him our beloved friend and fellow laborer. How much do we need this in our church today? The common bond of camaraderie, the fondness of each other, the lifting up of each other, the encouraging of each other. In all of our ministries, whether it's our work or our home, to be fond of your brother and to lift him up and encourage and celebrate the joys with him. And to be there when it's broken too, you know. Who all lived with Philemon? I'm glad you guys asked. Verse 2 is going to give us some of that. Rob was teaching me about transition sentences and that was one if you caught it. Um, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. It has been speculated that Aphia was Philemon's wife. Her name means fruitful. And the speculation of that could be true. It could also be somebody else that belongs to the home church. But as we see 
I tend to lean towards the side that it could have been his wife and Archippus, our fellow, fellow soldier. This is the thought to be Philemon and Aphia's son. His name means master of the horse. Church, his, church history speaks a little about him, but it has been said he became a bishop of Laodicea and was later martyred for his faith. If you could picture it, we have Philemon and his wife Aphia and their son Archippus. Probably had the nickname Archie, maybe Chippy. But Paul's writing a letter to him calling him a fellow soldier. What encouragement, what encouragement that is. As us in ministry to encourage each other, we are in this battle together. I don't know if you guys, but stepping into ministry, I believe I've felt some spiritual attack that I've never felt before. And I believe that the Lord has been faithful and he has led me closer to him in that time. You know, I think he divinely allows things to happen to see where you're at, to come running to him, or you're going to try and fight this on your own. So encouraging us as fellow soldiers is what Paul is doing here for the house of Philemon. And I think it's a good example for what we should do with each other as well. So grace to you, verse 3, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I once heard an acronym for grace and it's stuck with me ever since. And if you haven't heard me say this, I'll say it again. God's riches at Christ's expense. The grace of God, the fruits of the Spirit... The freedom from sin and death and the riches that we can walk in life as we walk according to the Spirit were all given to us at Christ's expense. The obedience of his sacrifice, that we can come to God through the blood of the Son and have a relationship with him. Do you ever desire that relationship? What things in the world is it that grab us? You guys might know my story, drug addiction, money things, I mean toxic relationships, everything. And then when I found Jesus and that I had a relationship with the Father and he filled my heart with his love, I was changed. That acronym for grace has stuck with me and I'll continue to hold on to that. He says, grace to you and peace. And the peace, we can never have the peace of God if we don't understand the grace of God. We can have peace with God, and then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will fill us. We have peace with God through the blood of Jesus, and then when we believe in that, by faith we come, we then have peace of God in our lives. Verse 4 says, I thank my God, making mentioning of you always in my prayers. As we can see here, Paul was a man of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says probably the greatest three words I've ever seen in the Bible Besides, it is finished, and it is pray without ceasing. Um, Paul says, I thank my God. And he shares with us here, opening up verse 4, that he says, you know, I thank my God. This is my personal devotion. This is my God I'm praying to. And as you are coming about my heart, Philemon, I'm praying for you. Have you ever been in those moments of prayer? I know we gather here on Sunday nights and pray. And I'll be thinking I'm praying about something over here, and the Lord will just lay somebody on my heart. Wow, Lord, thank you for them. They were so faithful to me five years ago when I was a mess. Thank you for that person. You know, and the Lord will bring these things up to you. And, and Paul is, is saying that not that he's constantly praying for Philemon, but that in his praying, Philemon is coming up in his heart on occasion. It is not only a prayer to pray for, for Philemon, but he continues to pop in Paul's heart while praying. Why does Philemon keep coming up in Paul's prayer? Let's look at verse 5, and I'll share a little bit more of it. Paul says in 5, I'm hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Paul keeps hearing 
of Philemon's growth. He is growing as a Christian. He, is, he has a house church in Colossae. He has a wife who is fruitful and faithful to the ministry. They have a son named Archippus who is a fellow soldier in the ministry. And he is seeing the Lord's work in a convert of his that he has poured into. Have you ever had that fruit come back? You see somebody you were planting seeds in and then here they come. Oh, the Lord's working in their heart, right? The love he is talking about here is the love, is the agape love. This is the affectionate love, the selfless love that desires nothing in return. And for the faith, it is the pistis, which the faith in the Greek is pistis, which the faith related to Christ is a strong and welcome conviction that Jesus is the Messiah and we obtain eternal salvation. I know for me, as the word is being taught verse by verse and I'm learning more about who the Lord is and his character, you know, and not only praying for the love and the blessings, but realizing that we serve a God who is merciful, but he's also the God of justness. His wrath is righteous. He has something for the wicked. But by faith, when we believe in Jesus, we are set free from that wrath that he is going to pour out on the world. It seems the order he had correct is correct as well. As the same as the grace and peace go, you'll never have the peace of God until you understand the grace of God. Is that He says he's hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. I believe there's no way for us to love each other if our relationship with the Lord isn't correct. It's kind of that vertical, horizontal thing, you know, and how we get vertical is on our knees in submission and obedience to the Lord. And when we come into that love, then we're able to love the saints of the church. I know if I don't get up in, morning, in the morning and pray and do devotion, by 11 o'clock I'm struggling. And I could just give you all the ways that I struggle, but I don't think that's necessary because we all have our days. But I know if I get right with the Lord in the morning and I spend that time, my day seems to be more filled with activity of his spirit. And I'm able to minister and love and not be angry and frustrated when somebody cuts me off in traffic or they charge me the wrong thing for my espresso or something. You know how it goes. So we keep that vertical correct with the Lord and we see the love and the grace and the peace and it grows in us and then we're able to minister and love to the saints even to the unsaved. Jump down to verse 6. It says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So we see here that Philemon is also working out evangelism, that the sharing of your faith, he has a church in his house, he is evangelizing in Colossae, Philemon's life has been changed, and now the overflow of God's goodness touching his life is being seen by others, and they are coming to faith. Do you believe that that's possible in your life? That in your working realm or in your family realm and relationships, that the more you're obedient to the Lord, that they will see what God is doing in your life and come to see what that is? He says that it may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So we, the witness that we have and people see all the beautiful work that's going on, let us remember that it's only because we are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing in ourselves that is going to make this effective acknowledgement of the faith that we have, except that we are in Christ Jesus. Verse number seven says, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. For we have great joy. He's speaking of abundant thanksgiving, constantly saying thank you for Philemon and the work that you are doing with him there in Colossae. The consolation in the Greek is paraklesis, 
which has a lot of the meaning, which is the calling near and the encouragement, or the comforter, and he's instructive. The paraclete is the Greek word for the Holy Spirit. And if you can see him working in Paul as he's writing this out and sharing, we see a lot of that coming out of his heart. So for the abundant thanks and the great encouragement and the comforting that we have in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. The hearts of the saints in the older versions of the Bible, it would say in the bowels, <laughs> in the bowels of the saints. I'm glad they changed that. But what they used to believe back then was that the deepest part of human emotion was felt in the stomach. Have you ever had that come? That giggly, maybe you first met your wife and you have those, <laughs> she's making a face, and you have those giggly butterflies, you know, those things happen and sometimes even fear, you can feel it in the pit of your stomach. So the, in the older versions of the, of, the, of the scripture, it would say in the bowels of the saints and I'm, I'm very grateful they changed it to the hearts. The heart is made, made up of the mind and the will and the emotions of every human being. And he is refreshed by this. Have you ever come to the water, the living word, and been refreshed by a brother that just shared? Man, you're doing awesome today, man. I see you working hard, you know. Sister, I see you serving silently with nobody giving you praise, and the Lord sees that. Have you ever had that in a bad day, maybe in a troubling time? Paul is saying um, the word refreshed here is to cause or permit one to seize from any movement of labor in order to recover and collect his strength, to give one self-rest, to keep quiet of calm and patient expectation. How beautiful that verse is. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So here we see in verse 8 that Paul is going to switch it up. He is... Um, Kind of buttered Philemon up there in the first one, man. Really encouraged him. Seen a lot of work. So now Paul's going to start digging in here. He's laid out this nice encouragement, this edifying buildup of what Philemon is doing. I love hearing that when people say it. Sometimes i got to keep my head low because I get all excited. Like, yeah, and then I'll start running ahead of the Lord, and it just turns out real bad. But in verse 8, he says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting... Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also prisoner of Jesus Christ. So starting out in verse 8, he says, this is how Paul would normally express his authority and apostleship when addressing letters. This is to let you know that I am the apostle Paul. I am the one that the Lord converted on the road to Damascus. I was struck down with a bright light, and by the end of it all, I was calling him Lord. I'm the one he has called to do this. He explains to Philemon, I could be very strong and authoritative about what I want to see done here. But in the act of not just telling what, what I want you to do, I want to do it in a fitting behavior as I want to see you do. So he's living an example. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So here the apostle Paul is living out and he's given us the reason for why he's doing this in verse 9. Have you ever had somebody like that in your life who's pretty bold and authoritative, but you have a struggle because it's not really coming at you in a, in a way that feels, not necessarily feels, but it's just very bold and authoritative, and you have the option to be submissive, run from it, or accept it as you're under that authority, and I will serve as he is a servant. So he steps in verse 9 and says, Yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner, of Jesus Christ. Yet for love's sake, in a matter of encouragement, 
for the act of strengthening you when to elevate the witness of your faith in Jesus Christ and the testimony that God has done in you, Philemon, for those around you and for the, in the sphere of your influence and in the home church that you have. So for love's sake, he's, he's appealing to him. And instead of commanding him in his authority, he wants to lay out a request and encourage him in his Christian life to make a decision in your own heart. Being such a one as Paul, Paul gives us a good description of himself in Philippians 3, 5 through 7, one of the shorter ones, where he says he was circumcised on the eighth day out of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. Concerning his zeal, he was persecuting the church, making him blaspheme the name of the Lord at the point of a sword, locking people up for saying they're Christians. Concerning the righteousness in which is the law and is blameless, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Could you imagine the zeal of a Pharisee like Paul that would murder a Christian and has now been transformed and changed to write these letters talking about beloved? Do you see the change in his heart that the, that the Lord can do? He says, I am now the aged and also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's getting old. I think Paul... I could be wrong. I think it was estimated he might have been around 70 writing this letter. I could be wrong. We'll talk about that after. But, um, and he's also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So here's the request I have for you. Paul lifts Philemon up and now presents his request. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Paul uses that endearing term, my son. He uses a lot of people in the church as my children. Uh, I know John, he used that too, my little children, very endearing. Um, I think compared to the eternity of the Father and his everlasting spirit and who he is, we are all children, whether you're as old as me, as old as Cameron, as old as my friend here, Bob, we are all children in the eyes of God. There's no length of time for us that is making us anything. Now we need to respect our elders and be encouraged by their wisdom. But Paul has an endearing term for Onesimus, and, and Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. Not sure of his job in Philemon's house, but it seems that Onesimus had stolen money from Philemon and took off running. Onesimus' name means profitable or useful. But I think after his sin he took off running, he was no longer profitable. So Paul, who is on house arrest in Rome, has come in contact with a runaway slave from Colossae. So I looked this up on Google's map, Google Maps. <clears throat> I was like, man, how far is Colossae from Rome? To walk it, it would take you eight days and 18 hours to walk from Colossae to Rome. Rome in that time was filled with over one million people. Have you ever felt like you were walking somewhere and somebody was divinely appointed in your life? Man, I, I know I met that person for a reason. God was working that out to walk eight days and 18 hours to get to a town that's full of a million people. And here he is with Paul, who knows him from Philemon, from the house church that he converted him into, and is now his son for that divine appointment. And God does these things for his purpose. And why did God set up this divine appointment? Let's look at verse 11. Who was once profitable to you, speaking to Philemon, but is now profitable to you and me. And it is evident here that Paul has led Onesimus to Christ. He was a sinner who ran, a slave who had stolen from his master. He ran all the way to Rome, probably lost and wandering. I know when I was filled with my guilt and shame and sin, I was a wandering, lost person. 
until love broke through one time. But he, was, uh, he has a repented of his sin and is now restored back to his profitable way of life. He is not only useful to Philemon, but Paul sees use in ministry and for the furtherance of the gospel. For you guys, thinking about this, after you were being forgiven and your sin and received the freedom of what Christ has done, didn't you just want to become a servant? Lord, what love is this? How do I serve in this arena of love that you have given me? The truth is we are masters of something. It's ourselves. It's the world. We're never not going to be a master of something. Why not choose the one who loves you and is righteous and has all things worked out for you? Verse 12 says, I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, and that is my own heart. Under the law, you had full authority to punish a slave, and it was common for slaves to be crucified for a much lesser crime than stealing and running away. There are stories from these days and biblical days of slaves spilling drinks and getting thrown into a fish pond full of lampreys, which are kind of like a piranha, and being eaten alive just for the entertainment. Could you imagine how Onesimus was feeling? This is it, Lord. But Paul, seeing after his repentance and his changed heart of running to serving again, asks and says, I am sending him back. Receive him as myself or my own heart. Paul is saying that this guy that has stolen from you and ran deserves to be branded. They would, they would, they would brand a, sa- a slave who had committed a crime. They would put an F on their forehead and let everybody know. You know, have you ever felt that stigma of your, of your sin or of your, your crime back before you were saved? It's always in the paperwork when, you know, you try to go get a house or a job and everybody's looking up your name and there's no option. Paul is saying here, listen, he is cleaned up and I'm sending him back. Receive him as if it was my own heart, my own child. Verse 13 says, whom I wished to keep with me, but that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Onesimus became useful to Paul in Rome and ministered to Paul while in his chains for the good news. Most likely running letters and possibly getting food or whatnot. I sense from the heart of this letter, Paul enjoyed discipling this new convert and watching his faith and spirit grow in the Lord. But without your consent, verse 14, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion as it were, but voluntary. Paul is asking that Philemon not make the decision or forgiveness or allow Onesimus to return without punishment out of the command that is the Apostle Paul writing him. He's laying out this beautiful appeal to do this out of the acts of your own heart. Make the decision to see that Onesimus has repented and he deserves to be forgiven. So verse 15 says, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. Paul sees the bigger picture here that God has possibly orchestrated this whole event for a much greater purpose, maybe a season in his life to come to the end of himself and now be useful for ministry. To be received forever gives off the notion that we are brothers and sisters, not only in this life and in Christ Jesus, but in eternal family forever, destined to be reunited in heaven. What hope is that? What joy is that to walk through this life knowing that this is not all? Verse 16 says, No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. To be received as more than a slave, Onesimus will continue to serve Philemon as a slave, but since his conversion with Paul in Rome and the new creation has become in Christ Jesus, he is now not only a slave, but a beloved brother. 
Welcome to the family, Onesimus, right? He gets encouraged here in verse 17, and I'm doing, I got some time, don't have much time, wow, okay. Verse 17 says, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account, on my account. As a fellow laborer and minister of the gospel, a worker, a brother, I want you to receive Onesimus as if it were me myself standing in front of you. I'm sure Onesimus has confessed his sin to Paul, and he knows all about it. But it is still, Paul still does not call him out in the letter, but simply asks for him to be put on his account. So guaranteed that Onesimus, while confessing his sin and coming to the Lord with Paul, has confessed everything in his life with Paul. I'm pretty sure Paul had that, that way about him. If, if you got to know him, that very authoritative apostle, but if you really got to know him and he was pouring into you, probably somebody you would trust to share your life with. And he says, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. For me, when I was reading these verses, I totally saw the Holy Spirit working through Paul and writing this letter and the life of Jesus being displayed through Paul's heart and through his pen to the page. Our sins have been... Tri- placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. He was beat for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. Everything in our life has been placed on Jesus Christ. This is Paul taking account, I believe, by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus working in his heart to say, if he owes you anything, take it on me. You know that Satan is constantly in the Father's face trying to accuse the Father of you? This is what they've done. This is who they are. But Jesus is mighty on his throne, and his blood is speaking louder as he is pleading, as he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one that is pleading for us, and by faith we can go there with him, and we can boldly approach the throne of grace and thank him for what he's done. Paul is displaying that here for Onesimus. In verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self, Besides, Paul stamps this letter by coming down by saying, I'm writing this with my own hand. Sometimes Paul would speak and he would have Luke or other people write these letters for him, but Paul is giving the, the confirmation that this is coming out of his own hand. He is putting the labor to put the pen on the page and to share with my heart for you, Philemon, for this one Onesimus, who was a sinner and is now returned home. Philemon, we are both indebted to the Lord for our salvation and I'm credited in your account for being responsible of leading you to the salvation as well. Paul was the one that was available for Philemon when he got saved in Colossae. So I think Paul had a credit with Philemon. Favor for a favor, my brother. Verse 20, he says, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord and refresh my heart in the Lord. Verse 20 switches up a little bit because that word joy there in the Greek is oninimai meaning profitable. And this is the same root word for Onesimus' name. Refresh my heart in the Lord to the fulfillment of a request. Paul is literally asking that Onesimus can stay with him in Rome and continue to minister. He's laying it out to him. Here's the appeal. I have met Onesimus. He has walked eight days and 18 hours, and somehow we divinely got met up in house arrest in Rome. He has confessed the Lord Jesus and he has repented of his sins. Onesimus, I'm going to send this letter with you to take to Philemon. And I'm going to lay this appeal out. Philemon, keep him. If you do, keep him as a brother. 
or you can send him back to Rome and I'll take him as and he can help me minister right here in Rome to me and my chains. Paul had a fond love of Onesimus. 21 saying, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul was confident in Philemon's obedience, that he would do more and be abundantly with everything that he says. And 22 says, but meanwhile also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Paul is confident in the obedience of Philemon and that he will go above and beyond the request. Onesimus has repented of his sins and is now again useful for Christian ministry and is set for eternity with Jesus Christ. Paul asks for a guest room and trusts in the prayers that he will be granted his freedom to come and see Philemon and his hospitality awaits him there. This story and this letter written to Philemon is a perfect picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us as sinners. In some form or fashion, we have strayed, we have ran away, we have sinned against the Holy God, but He pleads for us. At the cross, it is finished, He made a way for us, and He pleads with the Father on our behalf that we may have life and have it more abundantly, be free from sin, be free from death, This whole story kind of led me to one of the first stories I ever heard, and I'm just going to read it out to you. It could be, you can read along with me. It's Luke 15, 11 through 24, and it's the parable of the lost son. Onesimus was the lost son. I was the lost son until the Lord found me. So in verse 11 it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far-off country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything." But when he came to himself, he had that moment of clarity. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? Just the servants. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This story relates so directly to Onesimus. And I'm hoping that it relates to you guys this evening in that prodigal moment you might have had running from the Lord. And Paul said in verse 22 that prepare a guest room for me. So I just kind of want to ask you guys tonight, you know, who is in your guest room this evening? That place where we compartmentalize the kind of empty room of resentments and unforgiveness possibly our shame and our guilt from the lack of unforgiveness or repentance against somebody. 
Maybe it's the unforgiveness we show ourselves. Maybe we can't forgive ourselves for something we have done. Let me tell you that Jesus Christ died for that and wants you to come and make his life not only in your guest room, but he wants to fill your whole house in every aspect of your life. Paul closes this letter out and says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ greets you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So we see this story of a repentant slave who is now cleaned up and cleansed and welcomed back home. As we play this last song, this is a little softer song. Um, maybe there's something on your heart tonight. Maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive or a relationship you need to ask for forgiveness from. Just reflect on that. And as you receive that from the Lord, because he died for that situation, he knows our hearts. He knows our human nature is fallen and that we need to be born again by his spirit. If you haven't asked for that or received the Lord Jesus tonight, see one of us after. Maybe reach to the person after you and just say, I want to know this freedom from slavery and bondage and of unforgiveness and resentment.